Shirt Show. All right, let's go. Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Episode 17 of Shirt Show. We're talking with Jonathan from Catspit Productions in Arizona. Let's go! Can you hear us? We got Jonathan at Mission Control. (laughs) (laughs) We can hear you. Hey. I I think it's fine. Okay. Dylan says it's good. It's good. Yeah. So. Okay. Got a thumbs up over there. Okay. How's the uh, lighting for you? Not too bad? Looks oh, perfect, yeah. Perfect. I just slapped that together for this year. So. Yeah, me and you look good. Andy looks red. I don't it's, know why. It's way better than Dylan's lighting, more. so so you're good. <laughs> okay. All right. So you How's got, on, uh, yeah, we heard yeah. Uh, you got a little boo-boo on your head. Yeah. How'd yeah, you do that? that? Well, that was kind of a crazy thing. Um, I was just working on the project car, which, you know, I have a, an old muscle car and it was just silly. I, I whacked my head into the garage door basically. And it was like, I was just moving around a little bit too quick. You know, I'm getting old guys. I'm probably older than you think. I'll uh, let's see. November's coming. I'll be 50. So uh, I learned, yeah, two weeks ago today, I think it was, I learned to uh, slow down a little bit and watch what you're doing because I just, I got out of the car and tried to go through the garage and the door was down a little bit. And as I got up, I whacked my head on the door. And at first I thought, Oh, well, I'm going to have a little bump. It's a little welt, you know, Oh boy, (laughs) that sucks, you know? And then I felt it bleeding and stuff. And uh, I was like, man, this is unbelievable. So I had to get, yeah, it was 12 stitches. And you're you're poking your brain a little bit. You know, it, it might've knocked something out of me. I'll tell you, Uh, I don't know. Where was it? Was it up on top? Right here, can't, we can't even see it. Yeah, that's well, healing. The stitches like, are out. Wow. No, really it's good. good lighting. I guess it's good lighting. <laughs> There's no shadows. There's no contrast here. So yeah, it's like here. It's like it's like an arch, you know. And uh, it's pretty bad. It's it's a decent scar that you'll see. And uh, I it's had like a Harry, it's like a Harry Potter mark. Yeah, yeah, Harry Potter or uh, pirate. I've been getting all that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. So awesome. yeah. So well, Bob, what's your muscle car? Uh, it's a, uh, 79 Z 28 Camaro, but it has a, uh, what you call a 406 stroker engine in it. So it's, it's kind of like a racing engine, but it's, it's very old school. It's all metal and muscle. Uh, it's, it's basically a 350 small block that is worked out to the maximum. It has big heads on it. Um, big cam, uh, 3.75 crankshaft, uh, Scorpion rockers. It's, it's, it's pushing about 450 horse just the way it sits. And you only use it to burn the tires off? Uh, you know, that could be expensive. They're, they're, they're expensive tires. <laughs> you go out in the driveway, you burn the tires off, you pull it back in. Yeah, that's it. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. My, no, actually, it's fun to drive. It's a four speed manual and it's a lot of fun to drive around. And it has that kind of lope that it, it just kind of, you know, it jiggles and stuff. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's like a giant oversized go-kart, you know, mm. very cool. Yeah. My very first car was a Camaro. Um, it was a 77. I think I, I told you, we talked a long time ago about that. Um, but it, I had saved 
let's see. So I started saving for my first car when I was 15 and I had this pretty, pretty badass uh, lawn mowing business called MoPro as Dylan knows. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, um, and my grandma actually, believe it or not, had, had this Camaro and I was going to buy it from her. And so um, I was like, uh, I was, my birthday was in July. So I was like the youngest kid in my class practically. And all my friends, they were all driving before me. And, and, um, and so I was saving, saving, saving summer came along and I had a party. Uh, my parents went out of town. And I had a party. It was like a get together. It wasn't like a, a huge rage or anything, but uh, window got broken. Uh, somebody ran over our mailbox and some other shit. This and, is all, this is all fake. This is just sounds like a <laughs> shitty eighties movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you wish. know what? Then, yeah. and then in the my end, I got the girl. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's I, this is stuff that I can relate to. Yeah. And then, and then I, I love my girlfriend, <laughs> and I put a boombox on my above my head, and I, she came uh, out. I I've wish done that. That's a nice move. That's a nice move. Actually. <laughs> yeah. But, but, been. but uh, I had I had this party, and then my uh, parents got back in town, and they pulled me out of school. My stepdad interrogated me. And the punishment was I had to wait. I couldn't get that car on my birthday. You know, I had, I had it, I actually had bought it already and it was in the driveway and was almost going to, going to drive it. I had it licensed and everything. And then I turned 16 and I couldn't fucking drive it. And so I had to wait and it was like, um, it seemed like a a thousand years I was waiting, but. That's such a dick stepdad move. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because that car, when you turn 16, you know, getting that car, it's freedom, you know, now all of a it's sudden a big deal. it's a big yeah. deal. Should have yeah, yeah, yeah. gave you that. Nope. Yeah. No, I remember waiting for that for my first car. So, yeah. What was your first car? Uh, that's funny. Cause I was just thinking about it the other day. I think I saw, saw it on YouTube. It was, it was a Pontiac Ventura and it was a three speed on the column as I remember. So uh, it was a weird, it was like a Nova, you know, like the Ventura was basically a ripoff of the Nova, but it was Pontiac, which I think GM, you know, GM made them all. So I don't know why they did that, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a little three-speed Pontiac Ventura. It was a six cylinder. I think it was a straight six. So it had a, it had a clutch and you would change the yeah. gears on the column, like up yeah. on the steering column. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. And then uh, I didn't have that too long. And then uh, right after that, I got, uh, I was able to get luck out on a friend of my brother's who had a 1972 Chevelle. So I bought that for 500 bucks. And uh, I drove that for most of my high school years, actually. Yeah. Such a baller car to have in high school. Really? It it was, you know, it was considered a muscle car and stuff, even though. Uh, it was a pretty big, you know, the Chevelle was a pretty big body and it had a 350 small block. So uh, it wasn't that fast, but had headers and whatnot and sounded. If it was lighter, maybe be fast. Cause that was the thing with my Camaro. Yeah. It was so heavy. Like I was, I was going, I was driving to school one day and I was sitting at a stoplight and it had, uh, it was one of those mornings I had to park it outside. And it was one of those mornings where you had to scrape your windows, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, I was sitting at a stoplight, it turned green and I started to go and boom, I got hit from behind. Oh, and, man. uh, and literally it, it like it, my seat kind of twisted uh, a little bit, but it was such a heavy car. I got out and I looked back and there, the guy who hit me, his car was like total, they had to tow it away, you know, yeah. like radiator, everything had dumped on the on, on the street. And it turns out that the guy who hit me was 
going to school too. And he was uh, <laughs> in my class. So I gave him a ride the rest of the way. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Yeah. 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 It's heavier, I guess, compared to other cars, but the, the Camaro was considered a pony car. So uh, it's actually pretty light in comparison to some of the uh, larger, you know, muscle cars. So, uh, and then, you know, you do stuff when like, like my car is a little bit modified. So there's parts missing, like the, the, there's some metal that was cut out and things that were taken out and the batteries in the trunk and stuff like that to displace the weight and all that. But uh, it probably only weighs about 2000 pounds or so. It's not, hmm. not a really heavy car, maybe, maybe 25 max. It felt yeah. like it maybe because compared to nowadays, you know, cause it had a oh, chrome yeah, totally. bumper. It's, you know, yeah, 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 absolutely. They're, you know, they're built a lot differently. I have a big giant door. The big giant door was part of the, uh, reason that I probably bashed my head into the garage door because the way I came out of the car, it was, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, they're built. They're, they're definitely built a lot differently than how cars are made today. For sure. We've yeah. had the, we've had this conversation a couple of times because Chris has an old El Camino, like an SS El Camino. And I've always wanted like an old, old truck and stuff. But with only say too, like what's going to happen when, nowadays everybody's trying to get away from like that and like gas you know everybody wants to do like electric cars and everything what's going to happen yeah. in like years when they just like jack up the price of gasoline like crazy to where they try to phase out everybody that has like a gas guzzling car um, you know that's um that's true i i saw on the news that isn't california trying to uh buy 2035 or something like this they want all new car sales to be zero emissions Oh, wow. And that's pretty, I mean, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I think I saw it on the news. It was in the morning. I could have been half awake. Uh, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, California was trying to push for a particular year to have zero emissions uh, for new car sales. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. What happens to, you know, all the old guys who have cars, cars yeah. and things <laughs> like that? I don't know. Yeah, I guess we pay more for <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how'd you get started in screen printing? Um, well, you know what? It, it, I was born into it, actually. My father, uh, his name is John, and he has been in the industry since before I was born. So uh, he actually helped with a few products. He, he worked with uh, Newman Roller Frames back in the beginning when... when uh, when they were made out of stone. Yeah. When Mr. Newman <laughs> pitched, pitched the idea in a hotel room. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, I think my father helped bring that product to the market and was good friends with Mr. Newman for many years. And uh, so my father did a lot of stuff in the industry uh, before I even, you know, was born uh, really. And he was a salesman really. Uh, he did, he wasn't necessarily a printer, but he was a salesman and he sold, uh, a lot of different types of things. And he used to help people uh, figure out how to print stuff like Christmas ornaments and stuff. He had an account that he went in and helped them figure out how to print the Christmas ornaments and then, and then sold them all the product and stuff. So um, my father was in it for many, many, many years. And then as I grew up, my oldest brother, uh, who I call Jeff, is, but he goes by John now, his first name, uh, he had a print shop in New York State for over 25 years, and I helped him start that uh, when I was in high school in the garage. And we worked out of the garage for quite some time. 
And then uh, when I went to college, I ended up going to college. I got lucky and my father offered to send me to college. And I said, Hey, huh? yeah. Okay. You're going to, you're, you're going to buy, I'll fly. So uh, I got lucky there. And uh, I taught my other brother, Mitch, how to screen print. And then Mitch and Jeff or John today uh, ran that business for many, many years in New York state. And I, I came out to Arizona actually and uh, went to school and graduated and went back to New York for a little while. And then I came back out here and uh, came back to screen printing ultimately. And uh, so it was in, it was in the family, it was in the blood. It was, it was in our lives forever. I, I printed my first t-shirts when I was like 11 years old with my uncle in the basement of our house in New York on a press that he built out of wood, you know? So it's. Whereabouts in New York were you? At that time, that was Somers. So that was uh, Westchester County. So it was upstate. My, we, we, uh, I was born in like Long Island, Manhasset, Long Island. And then uh, my father didn't like how the island was uh, turning out. And so he moved us upstate to Westchester County and a uh, little, little town called Somers. And yeah, so my uncle was an artist. He drew, he was a really talented artist actually. And so he had some artwork that he wanted to print on t-shirts and stuff. And that's where I started. I, I was printing at 11 years old, printing t-shirts in the basement with my uncle. And, uh, and I even remember going to um, my father's place where he worked. It was way back then. It was called Majestic. Today, it's part of Saudi. If you're familiar with Saudi, which makes chemicals and stuff, emulsions and mash and all that, uh, you know, and I used to go to the warehouse and uh, sweep the floor and uh, just hang out. And, and it's a funny thing I have to mention is that recently I realized I come into my office here in my shop and I have this place for five years now, maybe over five years. And uh, there was always a smell to it that I, I was like, you know, that sounds, that smell is really familiar. And I couldn't quite place it. And I thought, oh, kind of, it's kind of like a dentist's office. But then, <laughs> yeah, but then I realized recently that it smells like Majestic. It smells like the screen printing warehouse with all the chemicals and the boxes and the mesh and all the stuff from, from the place where my father worked when I was a kid. So did you, did you start off with like a, a screen printing shop where you were selling something to customers or you kind of always just sold supplies? No, yeah. So I was a printer. I printed for my brother for a while. Then I, then as I came to Arizona, I printed for a few people in Arizona. And then um, at a certain point, yes, I started printing for myself and I started Catspit. I think that was around 2007. So Catspit was first a, a, a print shop. It wasn't, yes. you didn't sell supplies. No, nope. I start, yeah, I started Catspit as a print shop and uh, made a living printing uh, just to local businesses and stuff here in the uh, Phoenix Valley area. And then, um, you know, uh, I'll be honest. I saw, I saw Ryan on uh, YouTube making videos. He started in 2006. Oh shit. You didn't start first. We no, to... he's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. He started in 2006. I saw some of his videos and I said, you know, I think I could make better videos of that. And I started in 2009 on YouTube. So we were, we were wondering, we were wondering who was first. Yeah. Ryan was first. 
Ryan was the first guy to really start doing the type of educational videos that you see today on YouTube. And uh, I was probably, you know, there was a couple other people out there that were a little bit hobbyist or home grade. And then, and then I came onto the scene. Yeah. In 2009. Yeah. Cause pretty much everybody we talked to, you know, a shop that's been around quite a while. We always ask like, where did you learn to print or whatever? And a lot of them are always like, Oh, either Casper or Ryan videos. Yeah. For me, yeah. You, I saw you first. So, Oh yeah, of course. All right. It's good. Um, so you started to make videos, how to videos, um, while yeah. you were still a print shop or you started, you, you said, Hey, I'm going to sell supplies and right. I'm going to also offer some education with this. So no, you, that's no, that's correct. You're right. It was actually, I was making the videos while I was printing and I figured it might be a good way to pick up some print work. But what happened was that the people who were watching my videos began to ask me where to get the products that I was using. So it occurred to me because of my connections in the industry through my father, I said, well, I already know a lot of people in the industry. So I figured let's make a transition to supplying and actually uh, many people who follow me for 10 years, I've been on YouTube for over 10 years now. And way back at some point, Ryanette sponsored me for a year. So Ryanette was the sponsor of the Catspit Productions YouTube channel for a year. And we worked together for a year. Because you sold that, their supplies, you're saying? I, was, I didn't sell their product directly. This was in the very beginning. So I just promoted their product and I would get a commission, basically. Uh, for videos, I would make videos for them and uh, which are not up anymore. They're not live anymore because since then, of course, we've parted ways, you know, um, it just basically, it came to a point at, at which uh, I, you know, uh, Ryan, Ryan Ed is a big company and I wanted to maintain control of the integrity of what I do. And, right. you know, I didn't want to sell out the channel in any way. So I decided to go it alone. And listen, I could have taken the easy way and, and buddied up with Ryan and probably. No, that's awesome. Well, yeah. you know, but I took the hard way and uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's been challenging. Uh, I do, you know, I wear a lot of different hats here at Catspit. So it's, yeah. But yeah, so it, it started out as printing, making some printing videos to share some information. And then people started to ask me where, get, where to get stuff. And luckily I had the connections and I just, I rolled with it and transitioned from printing to supplier. Today, I no longer print commercially. So when you, when you started getting like selling supplies and stuff, do you actually like warehouse them there? I do actually have some supplies here, um, but I also have supplies at the factory at Ranar. So Ranar, as you might know, is one of the uh, equipment manufacturers that I sell and uh, I'm probably their biggest dealer in the world. And so they do a lot of fulfillment for me. So a lot of the supplies and whatnot will fulfill from the factory. But, uh, you know, because of the COVID situation recently, that has overloaded the factory because they're short on personnel. So I have been shipping a lot of stuff from Phoenix and it's been taking a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of time and effort, a lot of work, um, but yes, I have stock. It's yeah, it's difficult because I have to keep stock in Phoenix and I keep stocks and uh, stock in El Segundo, California at Renar. So you're um, back in, you started in 2009 with the videos. Was that yeah, about, I think was it was 2009. Right? The channel so, was established. Yeah. So back then 2009, you're, 
I don't know how many people were buying supplies on on the internet. And so were your initial orders local? Like people would just come pick it up. So you were selling to the Phoenix area or were you actually people buying, going to a website? You had a website people would so, buy supplies on or how did that work? Yeah, no. In the very beginning, I had a website or actually in the very, very beginning, it was just the YouTube channel. Then I added the website to be a supplement to the videos. And I started creating tutorial content on that what I call mother website today. Okay. But in the very beginning, I was not selling supplies direct. I was basically sponsored. Like I said, Ryanette sponsored me one year. And then uh, I had several other sponsors, Saudi sponsored, Rhino tech sponsored, McDermott Autotype. Um, I had, you know, quite a few sponsors that were uh, giving commissions and uh, promotional pay, you know, for videos and, and mentions and stuff like that. Of course, again, because of the relationship that I had, uh, you know, through my father, a lot of these people that I work with knew me when I was six years old, you know. And so in the very beginning, it was it was a lot of um, sponsorships, so to speak. And then, like I said, at a certain point, I I realized that I had to take control of the situation and just sell direct. It was the only way to really um, take control keep the kind of customer service that I want because my, you know, for me, my name and reputation is everything. So the, the level of customer service I give is just like, you know, if you're unhappy, I'll give you your money back. Now, with that, be, with that being said, do you, do you test a lot of those products to see all like, the products? <clears throat> what I'm saying, if you're going to, yeah. if you're going to promote a certain product, are you promoting it because you feel like that is the best product that you've tried or is it just kind of like what you can get your hands on? No, actually, these are products that uh, I have used and tested, and uh, I like them. So, uh, for instance, Saudi, Saudi products are excellent. I mean, you know, the chemicals are awesome, and the emulsions are great. I solve a lot of people's problems with uh, Textile PC Blue, and I love it. It's a great emulsion. I use it. We call it the house dressing over here. It's the house dressing because that's what I use. If, if it's that blue emulsion, in the, that, that's Textile PC Blue, and that's what I use in every day. And, uh, same with the chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, everything that I sell is stuff that I like. I enjoy it. It's good stuff. It works very well. And I try to find stuff that is competitively priced, you know, because, and, and I, you know, sometimes I try to find things that are an alternative to the most common things that have been around forever as well. Like, um, like the inks and chemicals, I have a few different choices, you know, that, that, uh, Chemicals, you can go with Saudi or I have another product that may be lesser known, but it's a lot less expensive and it works really good. So, yeah, no, it's um, it's all stuff that I have stumbled, either stumbled on or seeked out and then have used and said, you know what, this is good. I like this and the price is great. So instead of selling the same stuff that Ryan Ad or this guy sells or the other guy sells. I say, I go with this because I, I like it and it's a uh, good pricing. Do you have anything that you feel like is really underrated that not a lot of shops use that should use? Um, well, as far as like something that shops may overlook and not use or something, yeah. a product that is a good product that they should use. Both. <laughs> yeah, both. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so one product I find that a lot of shops are either unaware of or do not use is mesh abrader. And mesh abrader is a 
part of the mesh preparation process. So when you buy a screen from your supplier like Catspit, right? <laughs> you buy a brand new screen and you get it shipped in and we all know that it's dirty and greasy and stuff and we have to use mesh degreaser or mesh prep to clean the mesh. But we also have to consider that the, mat, the, the fabric itself is brand new and the threads, they're thread fibers. And each of these little thread fibers are very slick and smooth. So emulsion can have a difficult time biting on to the mesh. Okay, so in order to make your screen making process a lot easier when you're washing out the stencil, we use mesh abrader. And what mesh abrader does is it, it has a micro grit, I believe it's pumice, and it's micro grit, it's very small. And what it does is it roughs up the fabric just ever so slightly, just slightly, so that the emulsion can bite on. And then when you wash out detail, especially, the emulsion is not going to tend to fly off. And you're not going to lose high detail places. So mesh right, like, uh, you do yeah. that just on your first application? Like exactly. when you first get them in? You don't do yes. it every time you're cleaning the screen? No, that's yeah. correct. You, you only use it on brand new screens one time and never again. What is that? Is it like a paste? Is it like a spray? It's, it's uh, the one I sell is Saudi and it's direct prep one. And it's kind of like a paste, but it's very liquid. It's, it's almost like a um, car wax uh, compound of some kind. That's awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have that issue too much anymore because we switched to using Diazo and stuff, but before we were uh, same kind of thing, you'd blow out little halftone details here and there when you're pressure washing and stuff. So yeah, that might be handy. Are more forgiving for sure. They have a wider yeah. exposure latitude. Yeah. What, what was the other part of that question was, which I guess, which is your favorite product? Um, I guess, it, I guess it would probably, you know, I'd have to probably go to the house dressing, the Saudi <laughs> sea blue. Yeah. For emulsion, because it, it's a great photopolymer. It's pretty easy to work with. And when you post cure it, you can print water-based ink or a solvent ink. And it's, it's really durable. It's very durable after a post cure. So why the name cat spit? Where did that come from? Yeah, I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had a black cat for about 18 years. It was about 18 years. And uh, the black cat would... Uh, when, when she would sit in my lap and I would pet the cat and it, she would salivate and literally drool from her mouth. And then on top of that, she would flap her head like a dog and the spit would fly all over the place. And uh, one day it flew on my glasses. And I said, I said out loud, I says, what's with this cat spit? You know, what's with this cat spit? What the hell? And then I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Let me, I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down on a piece of paper, and then, uh, and then when I started the business, I named you're, it Spit Productions. Yeah, you're like, oh, cat spit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the thing was, is not to be on a down note, but I believe, let's see, uh, the business was 2007. So shortly after that, uh, the cat was killed in a condo fire. The, my neighbor burned down our condos or the townhouses or whatever, and she died in the fire, and that's where a lot of the logos are inspired from like mm. this Tomcat logo over here is uh, that cat kind of recreated in the image of uh, Tom from Tom and Jerry. Do you remember Tom and Jerry? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the cat lives on 
forever. That's our, that's our feline matriarch. <laughs> so when you were making the educational videos, did you, did you have like a breakdown of like, I want to make a video about this. I want to make a video about this or, I mean, doing it for 10 years, I feel like you would kind of run out of educational videos to do. Yeah, no, I never had a plan, except in the very beginning, I tried to sort of cover the basics and steps, which, you know, I'm not sure if I quite did efficiently. Uh, but um, no, yeah, you know, well, I could say for for many years, I didn't have any problems coming up with video topics. Okay, today, you know, today, a lot of the topics will come from the viewers, actually, because they ask specific questions. And then I realize that's a good topic to make a video about. Okay, so so a lot of the topics uh, that will be today and going forward and, and recently would be, yeah, would be inspired from the audience on YouTube. And and then, of course, I have my own, um, you know, brilliant ideas uh, now and then. <laughs> I, think you could, I think you could go on and on and on. I mean, there's something like 8,000 variables in screen printing or something. And so you could have a video for, for literally every variable. You know, you could have a video for fucking humidity, you know, and or, yeah. not, or no humidity. You know, you could just go on. It seems like you could go on and on. You remember your first video? What, the very first one you made? I do. What, what was it on? I, I want to remake that video. I don't like it. <laughs> I want to remake it and I will remake it. Hopefully, It's not still up, is it? Is it one of the it ones is. that's down? Absolutely. It's still up. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was the very first video I made. And I think it's called something like uh, how to screen print the process explained. And uh, that was when I was working in a cooperative warehouse with a couple other printers, which was at the place where I managed uh, a, a screen print supply company. I was actually the manager for it. And we had a co-op in the back warehouse. And so I started staying after work. Uh, that's where the video started, actually. Yeah. But how, the and, title, How To, is probably, it probably has a million views or something with that title. How to screen it's print. Probably, it's got some views. Yeah, I, you know, I have, yeah, I, I have over 600 uh, screen printing videos now. So um, some of them have quite a few views. Yeah, I, I can't remember, you know, exactly every one, but uh, that one's 10, you know, 10, 11 years old now. So. No, I know you enjoy doing all this stuff and we all enjoy doing <laughs> like, you know, the podcasts and all this other stuff, but there is like a, like a, you know, a businessy side to it where you want to try to get it out there to as many people and you want to try to do all that stuff as best you can. Do you dive at all into that with YouTube and like figure out the best like subject lines and the best tags to use and everything to get like the best reach to people? Or do you just post it and put whatever you want and just leave it as is? Um, <clears throat> at this point, that's what I do because I've been, you know, Google, you have to understand Google, uh, gives a lot of weight for time. So the longer you've been producing content, the more weight they give to you as long as you keep producing content. And so today I can do, you know, almost any, any video I want really and just throw it out there. And uh, usually the screen printing videos do well. If I show some kind of information, people like that. Right. If I get too vloggy or personal, or do something offbeat, like I've done Halloween videos and stuff like that. They get some views too, but not from my regular audience. So 
Um, but yes, um, definitely there was a method to my madness in, in the beginning and how I promoted the videos. And uh, yeah, there's a certain understanding to how to get the videos to get some attention. And uh, it, takes, it takes a lot of determination. It takes time and you can't give up. Meaning, again, I'm, I think I'm going on 11 years on YouTube. Now, I've slowed down a bit. The last video I made was, I don't know, three months ago, four months ago. Okay, but uh, I'm hoping as soon as this whole COVID thing mellows out a little bit, I'll be able to get back to making videos again, which is what I enjoy doing. That really uh, pleases me to be able to make videos that people enjoy watching, you know, so especially when I can teach them something that they maybe didn't know or, right. you know. We talked to yeah. uh, we talked to Cam from The Print Life a while back, and he said the same thing, that that it takes so long. You know, he uploaded uploads a lot of videos, and it takes so long for to catch, you know, for people to, to find you and, and to subscribe and keep watching your videos. Yes, it's, it's – um, and also, I'll tell you the truth, I got lucky because people connected with my teaching style. So – um, one thing I learned is that you have to keep your YouTube channel G-rated. You don't want to use a lot of curse words and things like that because YouTube uses your videos to make money. Um, and, you know, honestly, the, the, the Cat's Bit YouTube channel is a partner. It, it is a partner with YouTube. And at one point, it used to make some money. Today, it really doesn't make any money because I had to block all the ads from my competitors because I sell direct now, Right. So I sell direct. I can't have Ryanette's videos running before mine. So I've had to block that whole thing. So the videos don't make a whole lot of money, but still YouTube appreciates G-rated material. So, uh, you know, it's, it has a lot to do with how you make the videos, how you interact with your audience. You got to answer questions. I still answer questions today, even though right now I'm so far behind on questions on YouTube. It's not funny, but, uh, I still go through my questions and reply to everybody that I can when I get the time. So yeah, it's a nurturing process to the, to the entity of YouTube. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that is just like engagement with people. Like you said, if you answer people's questions, I feel like to them, it's like, Holy shit. He, he answered me. Yeah. And that just makes them want to watch the next one because they have a personal connection a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that though. I like getting, um, I like getting questions because, well, if I don't have the answer to them, then maybe I have to go find it out or I'll refer them to somebody else. Or, you know, if it's a basic question, like how to screen print, well, then I'll say we should go watch some cat spit videos or some videos, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's all right there. Yeah. But um, if it's more specific questions about how we do a certain thing, you know, and I can, I think that I could, I could answer it. Um, pretty easily then I we I just message them back but if it's complicated I take you know we do phone calls uh, pretty often sure and, uh, and I think though that sometimes I'm sharing information that we've are indeed and I you know like hey this is this took a while to figure out and then I, we'll go ahead and share it other times um, I you know when I share that then they share back you know and so maybe I'm stuck in a spot or we have a question about a certain product, then, then I'll, I'll reach out. So I think it goes both ways. So, um, but you're right. Yeah. Getting to some of those, getting, answering all those questions can be, it takes a while sometimes. It's a lot of work. Oh yeah. It's a lot, a lot of, work. of work. Yeah. And, right. You know, 
Well, there's some, like you said, I can't answer. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a textile guy, so I get questions and I do sell graphic equipment. Okay. So I know a little bit about graphic stuff. I do sell graphic equipment. Um, but my forte is textiles. So sometimes, yeah, I get questions that come, you know, from a completely different, um, sector of the screen printing industry that, that, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't answer all of them because that's not my thing. I don't, I don't do that. Like, uh, membrane switches or, uh, or, uh, you know, things like that is, is I get questions on that and it's like, I'm not a graphic guy. So you gotta, you gotta check with a graphic guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, video, I think that a lot of my questions lately have been not about product or something, but more about you know, how do you run your business this way? Or how do you hire somebody, you know, or, or this kind of stuff. Oh, and those are, yeah. those are long, long answers. And, um, oh, yeah. but, but they're good. Um, but, but, it, but those are really tough, tough questions, you know, because you got to kind of, I stumbled along the way when we started, you know, I made all kinds of mistakes and, and I learned how to hire better or, or, or all that stuff. I think we lost Dylan possibly. Uh Oh, not sure. Yep. I don't know how to get him, get him back. Well, anyway, uh, yeah. we don't need him. He wasn't, he wasn't doing much. <laughs> anymore, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, tough. Yeah. To, it's, it's awesome that you do that, you know, for the industry. I do as much as I can with the business side of it. My, I like questions about screen printing. I'm not really a businessman. I'm more of an artist to tell you the truth. So, um, you know, as far as the business side of it, I, I, I'll answer as much as I can, but I'll admit that that's not my, uh, you know, that's not my area of expertise. I like to teach the fundamentals of the screen printing process, really. That's, that's what I enjoy. Yeah, same here. I think um, I've become a businessman, you know, because out of necessity, you know, I have to, I have to every single day. But um, what I really want to be doing is printing shirts, you know, and so that's my kind of like, yeah, me. that's, this, that's yeah. my forte. I think we might, yeah. we might have him back. Let's see. Uh, Come on, aren't you guys the tech geniuses over there? I know. There we go. Oh, all right. All right. All right. Stop, stop talking shit. He's back. Yeah, here he is. <laughs> yeah, I know you logged off so you could, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crap. You were talking all about G-rated and I just had to fucking stop this so I could swear <laughs> yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened either. You guys just froze and then it just shut off. Like Zoom just completely shut. So I have no idea what happened. I'm just happy it wasn't me because <laughs> I'm lucky I'm on here right now and it's working. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Well, I don't know if Andy said these while I was gone, but we actually ask, uh, we've been recently starting to ask the listeners, like, what questions would they have for you? Um, sure. So I want to I rattle a couple of these off so you can try to answer them. Um, the first one was, why did you pick uh, Raynar as a manufacturer? But you said that was because your dad? Well, no, in that case, actually, it was because of the guys at Ranar. And uh, what happened was, is when I first started making the YouTube videos, I was actually using a Ranar press. And it was a pretty cool press. I liked it a lot. And at that time, believe it or not, I had to, I, I wasn't hooked up with Ranar in the beginning. And I had to, I, I put masking tape over their name because people kept asking me about it. And I wasn't really hooked up with them yet. And then one day I was over at a buddy's place uh, running his automatic press and M&R press for him. And uh, I got a phone call on my cell phone and it was David Walker from Renar. And he said, uh, 
So yeah, you're using our press and stuff. Why don't you sell it? And I says, ah, well, you know, okay. Um, let me get a new press. So we worked something out and I got some of their equipment in and we, uh, it's, you know, I like Ranar. Ranar is a very uh, interesting company. It's a very small factory in El Segundo, California. It's a family run business and it's a lot of hands-on fabrication right there in, in the factory. And what I liked about their equipment was it was very, very simple. The build, uh, I say, is kind of stupid simple, but it's very heavy. So the stuff is built like a tank. And it's not over-engineered. No, it's not over-engineered. And, and one of the first things that I liked about it is they used a compression spring rather than ex- expansion spring. So on a lot of presses you see today, uh, you have springs on the side of the print heads and there are mesh netting over the springs. And when you lift the print head, those springs expand. All right. So the reason the mesh netting is there is because ultimately they break and sometimes they smash you in the face. Yeah. They fly across the shop or whatever. So the netting is there for safety. Well, the compression spring that Ranar uses is unique and it just, it, it'll never break. It was the first part of the press that I gave a lifetime guarantee on, in fact. And uh, I just liked it a lot. And the presses are just really easy to work with. They take a little bit to set up. You have to zero them out and set them up. Okay, it's not like uh, like I sell AWT presses as well. And their manual presses come pinned from the factory. So they're machine built in such a way that there's pins on all the parts. And when you put it together, it's ready to go. You really don't have to do anything. Whereas Ranar, you're going to need to level the pallets and level the print heads and, and get everything set up before you start rolling. You know, but uh, it was just, um, I think it was a nice marriage of, uh, you know, the guys at Ranar are real cool. And uh, I enjoyed their product quite a bit. You know, I believe in it. And today I offer a lifetime guarantee on the presses. That's awesome. It, that's the most important thing really is that, that's why we use the stuff we use here and the, the stuff that's why Dylan uses the products he uses, you know, and so you believe in it. And so I could never, I can never sell a product, you know, that I didn't believe in. So um, just like you said, you back up those springs lifetime guarantee. You do that or does Ra- I Raynor? do that? So, no, you know. I do that. It's only from cat's bit. You Ranar won't give you a lifetime guarantee. No, mm-hmm. it's only from cat's bit. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, it's, I just believe I've been selling them for so long now and I've had no problems. So, uh, I can easily do that. And it's, it's really a non-issue. You got another uh, one, Dylan? See. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess this is kind of a weird, it says, why are Sherlock's so much better than statics, but that's, there's a winky face after that. So how do you feel versus statics versus like, uh, the, <laughs> They're just, whoever that is. Oh, I know who that is. They're just trying to start a fight here. Yeah. 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 Well, th- and listen, every, every screen printer has their own preferences and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. You know, I'm an old school printer. Like I told you, I'm 50 years old. Okay. So I, I started out printing on wood screens that really sucked. Okay. So I hate wood screens. Don't even talk to me about wood screens. That's like a, a thing. I hate wood screens. Okay. But um, yeah, for most t-shirt work, you know, I've been around the block a few times and uh, I, I've seen graphic work, like you said, and I've seen t-shirts, textile. For most t-shirts, static aluminum frames frames are fine. If you get them from a good distributor, that gives you some 
decent tension, you know, and they're nice, tight screens and stuff. So for the most part, um, you know, I recommend static aluminum screens unless, you know, if you need higher tension for some reason, then you might use roller frames. Okay. Um, Sherlock frames are cool too. Sherlock has a system to do, um, for, they have a system to stretch roller frames and then they have uh, another easy frame or something I think it's called where there's, uh, it's kind of like the eco frame, you know, and it has panels that snap into the back. Yeah. Of, yeah. But those, those screens are heavy. They're actually pretty heavy. I have, I have a few of them over here in the back actually that were sent to me. And, uh, you know, I, you know, for t-shirts, for most t-shirt work, you know, I feel a static aluminum screen works just fine for me. Even, even on high detail, I can do half tones and I really don't have a problem with them at all. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, this kind of ties in a little bit. It says, what's your thoughts on traditional squeezy squeegee versus easy grip versus badass style squeegee? What's badass style? Why don't I know? Badass, I have I have the badass. Okay. What is that? Manual squeegee. It's the action engineering makes it. It's just like the it's just like like the easy grip, but it's all metal. It's like all aluminum. It's not like a piece of plastic. Right, right. So that's probably better than the easy grip because the easy grip actually flexes uh, this way. So the squeegee blade is able to twist. And that's not really what you want. You don't want your squeegee blade to, to twist from side to side. So the e that that yellow plastic thing, no, I I they sent me one and they wanted me to look at it and stuff, but it's, no, I I prefer a I prefer a wooden handle squeegee. Um, here's the thing. So yeah, again for t-shirts, for most t-shirts, especially when you're talking about manual printing, you know, of course, um, a wood squeegee handle with the squeegee is fine, and, and the reason for that is because if you have MDF pallets, usually MDF pallets are going to warp. And a wood handle squeegee will actually allow the squeegee to flex and kind of accommodate that imperfection of the pallet. Okay. Um, and they work fine on aluminum pallets, of course, as well. Um, but no, I don't like any of those fancy uh, new fangled squeegee holders. I prefer a wood handle if you're going to be on a manual press with MDF pallets. If you have aluminum pallets, you can use you know, an aluminum handle squeegee, but I don't think it's necessary for t-shirts. I have a question. So on with the easy grip or the badass style, can you still pull or are they for pushing? Do you know? From what I can see, they look like pulling. I don't know. I, yeah, I, what I looked at the one, the one that I had here, it was kind of like this. So I'm not sure how you push with that. I found it. I think it was easier to pull. But that's another thing that's true. I prefer, I prefer a pull flood and a push stroke. Hmm. Okay. Well, we and have, we have the badass one. The reverse. It's, it's basically like, so your hands would be straight up and down for the most part or a little bit forward. Does it, yeah. But does it make you do like, like it doesn't this? make you flex it because the squeegee's already at a little bit of an angle. Yeah. So it's more like you could pull it or push it. Um, I don't know. I, I like it. I, I don't print barely ever, but when I do like projects on my own, I always grab that squeegee. But like, I agree with you, like a, a wood handle squeegee is, you know, you can use that all day long. There's no issue. The other thing, yeah, with the wood handle squeegees, you're able to cut many different sizes in the shop. Right. And, and 
you know, when you're working with different size artwork, you really, you don't want to use a 12 inch squeegee for a three inch design. So right. the wood handles allow me also to choose the perfect squeegee size for the, for the print. Right. Makes sense. Um, what are your thoughts on using expensive tape versus just basic clear tape for screens? Uh, these questions are coming from some of the people because they must know what to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, they're, I use they're tape. questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I use masking tape. I use regular old masking tape. No, you don't. I do. For I do. and I and I tape on the substrate side. I do not tape on the inkwell side. So okay. I only use four pieces of two-inch tape on the substrate side. It's masking tape, and it works fine. Why do you like masking tape? Because it's easy to work with. It's easy to tear. It's easy to get off. And if it doesn't want to come off, it comes off in the washout booth with the pressure washer. It just so do you, you don't store screens? Yeah, I do. With, with masking tape on it? I do. You know, because I, so I started with wooden frames and I started with masking tape. Yeah. That was, was that, that was, I went to the hardware store to buy it, you know? <laughs> and what would happen is it would get all, it would get all gummy, you know, like over time. So if I, I stored a frame more yeah. than, I don't know, a few weeks or a month or whatever, it started to break down and get all gummy and you couldn't tear it off. Well, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe there are grades of uh, masking tape. I think I use the 3M stuff, but uh, it can stay on there for many years. It gets a little, it can get a little wrinkled. The more chemicals and usage it has, it can get wrinkled, but uh, usually it stays on until I take it off, you know, but, but sure, it can get super saturated and, and, and come off. But, um, you know, for the amount of tape uh, that I've used in my lifetime in print shops, you know, masking tape would save a lot of money and, uh, uh, screen tape is good too, but it's expensive. The plastic screen tape, you can reuse it. Actually, I made a video about that. You can reuse the plastic screen tape several times before throwing it out. So, you mean just by cleaning, cleaning the top of it or something? Well, sometimes, no, sometimes, uh, you know, you use it to print a smaller run perhaps. And then, like I said, I print or I tape off rather on the substrate side. So we're oh, only okay. talking about four pieces, right? So I can peel those pieces off and stick them on the concrete wall and then put them on another screen as long as they have some kind of stickiness left to them. So you're saving, often. saving dollars and saving the environment. I like it. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. talked. Uh, if you don't, if you don't do the inside, what happens when you get ink like accidentally in the, you know, the corner of the aluminum frame? Yeah, that doesn't. Has that, to clean off. That doesn't bother me. I yeah. So I use a 16 inch scoop coater on a 20 by 24 screen. So there's only like, you know, a little bit of uh, space around the edge, and uh, yeah, sometimes the ink gets into the corners and stuff like that. But it's usually again a non-issue for me, even if I'm going to use different inks on the same screen. This is pretty cool. There was a there was a shop. Um, a guy called me or uh, texted me on last week and said he's going to be in town in St. Louis uh, doing business on Friday and wanted to stop by and say hi. So we did. And uh, we were going through the shop, I was giving him a tour and then we got to uh, talking about tape and he said he doesn't use tape. And so I immediately thought that, Oh, you've got the tapeless screens where you, you know, you put extra glue around the edge. He says, no, I just buy giant screens so that I think he said like 2536s, you know, so yeah, that he, yeah. so, and so he goes, you have those too, Dylan? You don't mm -hmm. use 2330? Oh, so you buy no, giant. No, we, we use both. We have 2331s and then 2536 for oversized prints. So we're still making the prints bigger. It's not like we're using big screens for small prints. 
well, he was using big screens for smaller standard right. prints, I guess. And so that he had a scoop coder that he coats kind of like you said, almost to the edge and then keeps his, you know, it's such a giant screen. And so the squeegees are caught. He said he cut his at 14 inches and it just never even comes close to, to the edges of the frame or the edge of the emulsion. And so it doesn't yeah, tape anything. Yeah. I was like, well, that sucks. I just bought, you know, 550, <laughs> 23 by 31s. <laughs> but, but actually I have uh, one of, two of our presses could accommodate, but one of them I couldn't even get yeah. on anymore. The problem is though too, is that you, you think you're saving money on tape, but you're also spending way more money on emulsion. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how, but probably less tape is shit. That tape's not cheap. Well, you also get the expensive split tape. Yeah, the opposite of masking tape. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, the PMI split tape. Yeah, we've always used uh, in the beginning. We used uh, like packaging, like box packaging tape. But the problem is, is oh, that yeah. the sticky residue on those is supposed to be really strong to hold a box shut. That it actually sticks. On, like you peel the tape off, you'll it have sticky off. residue. Right. Yes. So then we we found out that we can use the natural gum rubber tape. It's like the tape looks like a natural, like a brown color or whatever. Hmm. And that doesn't leave any sticky residue at all. And they're pretty cheap per roll. Like you can yeah. get it from Uline and we just order like cases at a time. And we just use that tape specifically for screens and it peels right off beautifully. No residue, no nothing. So I've heard guys uh, do that order from Uline too, but I, when this whole thing happened then quarantine happened and um, I was the guy who was pulling tape, I was like, Oh my gosh, we're doing this so wrong. I don't know how we ended up here. And so this wasn't willy nilly deciding to use PMI, but uh, this was like, I bought all different kinds of tape and then decided which one was the fastest to peel off and not just fastest to peel off, but also could peel off. Cause sometimes when you peel off like the, the cheaper stuff I got at Uline, it peels off it and rips. then it tears and it rips. Yeah. And then you're, I'm picking, I don't have fingernails. And so I, yeah, yeah, well, I have yeah. fingernails, but I don't have them. They're not long. <laughs> yeah. And so here I am trying to pick it tape, you know, <clears throat> off the screen. And it was just, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to pull tape off super fast. And we got it down to like 15 seconds ever. You just wanted, you just wanted to have fancy looking tape for all those videos of Kyle taping screens. Super fast. <laughs> well, we do happen to have Kyle, Kyle is the, happens to be the, the world's fastest taper, but, um, and Undis we're going to put undisputed. that to test. I'm just, well, no, no, it's just, there's been lots of challenges, but he will, um, if ISS happens this year, there's going to be a competition. <laughs> Just, uh, um, there's a yeah. teaser right there we'll see if it happens if it happens then there, we're gonna have a taping competition so we'll see we're gonna have to fly him out there and he's never flown before so maybe he drives out he'll have to leave a week early. <laughs> i don't know but <laughs> yeah i wonder if iss will happen this year that's a good uh question uh, i haven't heard anything I, I doubt it myself yeah i don't i don't think so i don't know yeah as of now it's still on but like you said i doubt it yeah, I had uh, we pretty much went through all the decent comments, but uh, there was one in here I just wanted to throw out. It's kind of funny. Uh, Barrel maker, Barrel maker asked, uh, "Why did he choose the grossest name possible?" <laughs> uh, we already answered that, but yeah, I just wanted well, to see, make sure. It, it, but it works, yeah. so like you don't forget it. You know, who, well, yeah, you yeah. won't forget it. No, that's that's actually a good point. In fact, when I first started the business and started doing this, everybody said. Cat's bit. That's stupid. That is not, you know, you, that's not what you name your business and blah, blah, blah. I got all this flack for it. And like I said, I'm an artist. I'm not a business person. So that's why. But it's hands. super memorable. Well, today, cat's bit is basically a keyword for screen printing. So, yeah. 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 I, I used to, when I, yeah. 
When I started, or not when I started, but a few years ago, I went on, uh, I went to- a When you started being good. <laughs> when we started the, yeah, be good. Right, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to this meeting and this guy was like, you know, why, why Shurkon? You got to change that name. Get rid of that name. That's no good. You got to call yourself yeah. St. Louis screen printing or something. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Well, I, that answers, that answers the question to me because that's just not memorable. There's yeah. too many. That's just too typical. And yeah, so yeah. I, I like the name Catspid. It can be, <laughs> it can be gross or it can be not or whatever. I didn't, I didn't ever thought of it as gross, but it's actually what it actually refers to is a cat's hiss. So, you know, cats hiss, big cats and small cats, they hiss at you. So a cat spit is, that's really what that is supposed to mean. It's a cat's hiss or their spit at you. It's not like they're actually spitting at you, although mine did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we have an Inkscoff question. Sure. Um, and this is a really good one, I think. Dylan wrote it, so let me get this, let me get this straight. So there, <laughs> Uh, there's something about going for a drive and, you know, you got your windows down and that's that warm smell of colitas and sweet tunes playing. Uh, if you could go anywhere, where would you, go? <laughs> so, where would you go for a cruise to get away and clear your head? Um, so if I had it my way, yeah, I would take the project car, which it's not really built for long cruises, but I, you know, under this hypothetical situation, let's say it were, I would take the project car and drive out to the beach. So, you know, right now the closest ocean we have here is California. Um, you know, not that California is the place I want to go, but um, the ocean, I'm very drawn to the ocean. So, if I, if I had the ability right now, I would probably go and drive to the coast and spend some time on the ocean. Perfect. So you take the bitchin' Camaro down to the shore. Yep. Yeah. Which, of course, like I said, you could totally not do because it's just, it's so ridiculous. It's not really meant for long cruises or anything like that. Yeah, but, and the fuel economy, you know. It, oh, I don't know <laughs> if I could make it between here and Blythe, you know, without running out of gas, so or not even here in Palm Springs or whatever's in between, you know, the next thing it is, I forget now. I, uh, I drive out every year to the Long Beach show and uh, I enjoy the ocean quite a bit. I go down and check it out. So I think that that's probably because of my father and he was a saltwater fisherman and my brother, my brother in New York does saltwater fishing. And uh, I'm not a big fisherman or anything, but uh, I like to be near the ocean and I'm in the desert, as I said that. <laughs> Yeah, but not far from the ocean, way closer yeah. than us. So. Yeah, six hours. It's a six-hour drive, and I can be on the beach. So it's not too bad. So, Dylan, where do you go for a cruise? Hmm. I don't know. Well, I already live in a pretty peaceful place, but um, my dad actually this week, this weekend drove up to Maine and was just, like, sitting by the water. And uh, I feel like just that whole drive from New York to Maine is – you know, you can take a pretty back way to get there. It's pretty peaceful drive. So, I mean, that sounds pretty good yeah. right now, but for me, I would like to take the bike. Um, that sounds like a good time. It's pretty cold right now to do that, but yeah, that'd be ideal. Is right it fall now. up there now? Like the leaves are changing. Yeah. That everything's, drive everything's totally changed at this point. Yeah. Do you miss that about New York? You said you grew up in New York. Do you miss, oh. cause you're in the desert. Do you miss that season of 
No. A, a fault? No. <laughs> no. No, absolutely not. No, my brother's still there. Like I said, he's in Martha's Vineyard right now fishing. But uh, he, yeah, he, he'll send me pictures and stuff with the snow. And um, no, I like, I like actually, yeah, I like Arizona. I like Phoenix because we have no tornadoes. We have no hurricanes. We have no earthquakes. Um, once in a while, it rains really bad. But we have non-weather here. So uh, you can plan a drive on a Saturday and, and pretty much be rest assured that it's going to be sunny and beautiful. Yeah, I was there in February and fell in love. I, I love Phoenix. So can't wait to get back. Yeah, I like it here. I don't think I would move anywhere else. Um, you know, uh, if California weren't such a problem to do business in, I would have moved closer to Ranar. Uh, but California is such a mess that this is as close as I'll get. <laughs> so as far as business, I don't, I'm not, you know, not putting down Californians. I'm just saying there's a lot of red tape for business there. And it's like, it's crazy. So uh, I can make a better business here in Phoenix than I could in LA. I instance. think a lot of people share your, that, that, that opinion. So it's rough. Yeah. It's well, rough. A lot of people are moving from California to Texas. And Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Where do you go, Andy? Hmm, those both sound so good. My, I was going to say the same thing as, as Jonathan. So I'll use my second choice and that would be from driving from Denver into the Rockies, uh, mm -hmm. highway 70 or anywhere you can, you can take an exit and just go. It's so beautiful, you know? So I would choose, yeah, I would choose the Rockies. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what's next for you, Jonathan? What's, um, what do you got going? What, anything in the works that, that uh, you want to tell us about? Um, well, I have something that's been in the works for quite a bit now. And it's just a, uh, originally it was supposed to be a pretty expansive, detailed tutorial site. And um, it, it, it's turning out that I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to attach it to the e-commerce site and make it a lot simpler to start out with because of everything that's going on. I don't want to invest a ton of money into it and then see it uh, not be fruitful. So I want to test the waters a little bit and see what people think. So we're going to build, what I'm doing is taking um, my screen printing book, basically over all these 10, 11 years that I've been doing all this content, I have written what accumulates to a book about screen printing. So I have edited and organized that into text and chapters. And then we are embedding the videos from YouTube, all 10 years of them, into the appropriate places throughout this little tutorial segment. So it'll be a uh, membership site, meaning, you know, it'll probably, I'm not sure yet, I might do 14 or 15 bucks, or it might be 19 bucks, and you get like 30 days access, and then you'll get access to the entire book with all the videos embedded in the appropriate place, because that was one of the biggest complaints I have received over the years and years of doing the YouTube videos is that people say, well, you have so many videos now that they're not in order. They're not in sequence. Right. I can't really figure it out. It's really hard to find what I want. So I'm attempting to, yeah, put that into a cohesive organized uh, layout and allow people to access it 30 days, you know, no contract. You can pay for 30 days at a time, drop out, come back later, buy in again, check it out. And hopefully, eventually, I'd like to build it into an interactive site of its own where uh, the members will be able to interact directly with me within the site. Um, 
you know, and kind of uh, move it more towards a, uh, because it's really hard. Yeah, a little, well, kind of consulting, but more of a tutorial teacher type thing. And uh, because I, I was teaching in person here in Phoenix. And a lot of people are still calling me for that, but I'm not doing it right now, obviously, because of the COVID thing. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm not sure if I want to resume it because it's a lot of work for me. It's a lot of work. And there's only so much money I feel comfortable charging somebody for that. You're saying so, so somebody, you have a space in your shop that people, you would schedule a, a one-on-one class or a group? Yes. No, yeah, it's one-on-one actually. Yeah, in the back there's the whole shop. That's where we make the videos. So it's a completely functional shop. I could print shirts back there anytime I want. Um, but it's more for, it was more for teaching and for making the videos, but it was left over from obviously from when I used to print, but today it's more of a studio. And, uh, yeah, I was doing one-on-one training sessions. So no, it wasn't a class really. It's one-on-one with me, very intimate, uh, information overload, and that was for like a day or for a weekend or well, actually, no, it's only about four or five hours. I run you through the process straight fundamental straight through standing up the whole time, just wow. fire straight through. Uh, but I didn't cover artwork. Don't forget, you know, artwork is a whole nother ball game. So we basically started at film positives and talked a little bit about how you're going to make your film. And then we went right into screen making and coding screens and mesh prep and all that kind of stuff. Do people fly in for this or are these local normally or how, how does that Oh no, Yeah, they did. It, you could have any, anywhere in the country, people fly in to take it. There's a hotel that's pretty close to Catspit that we recommend and people stay up there and then they come over for the training. And, and then we have a lot of local people too, you know, but again, I'm not sure if I'll continue that in the future just because, you know, I'm getting older and, um, I'd like my Saturdays back. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so, I agree. I, I heard yeah. that. I'm trying to, I almost came in this Saturday. I mean like this close and it wasn't to print anything. It was just to do, uh, the maintenance and stuff like that. And it's like, nah, I just can't do it. You know, it was a long week and, and I was so happy I didn't come in, you know? So, uh, it's tempting. It really is though. I mean, you, you have a business and Dylan, you know, this, especially when it's Dylan's uh, shop is closer to his house than mine, but when it's just right there, yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to, there's always something to do. So I find myself, uh, it's tough to stay away, but these days it's a lot easier. I do it all the time. I'll just be home bored or something or even be late at night. Like everybody's asleep or something. I'm just like, I'm just going to go back to the shop and then I'll end up here till like two in the morning. It's like, it's only because it's right down the road. Yeah, that could be a problem for me as well. It's kind of like, uh, I, there is a good thing about the separation from home and business for me because I used to have the business in my home and uh, I would work all night. You know, there was, hey, I, I, you know, you get up in the morning and all you got to do is walk from your bedroom to the office. So you could work long hours and uh, it was great. But having the business in its own place allows me to, you know, detach a little bit on the weekends and stuff, which is good for your mental health. I think I got in such a rhythm because, you know, it was such a fight to, to start, you know, to, to make it that I got in this habit of working, you know, 80 hours a week. And it, that's, that's sort of was my life. And I did it for so long that that was, that's how it worked, yeah. you know, and, I, and that's, I went in every day. And then, so it's hard to break yourself of that because you want to make sure that 
that you don't go backwards or that, you know, you don't, don't lose it. So. so. That's true. That's true. And you, you know, uh, I think the internet and social media and everything also uh, may push us at times because you see other people uh, working so hard and then, uh, you know, you're like, well, you know, should I, should I hang out today at home and relax or should I go in and, and take care of some things uh, like everybody else is doing or, you know, like you want to hustle and uh, be the most productive that you can be. A lot of those people, though, they're taking their Instagram photos, acting like they're working, but they're not even that, working. That's true, too. That's true, <laughs> too. But it can be an inspiration to light a fire under your ass. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, be like, you know, should I be sitting on the couch watching Godzilla today or should I go into the office? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, should I waste some time? Uh, you know, should I go into the garage and bash my head against the door or shall I go to work? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but you were, but you were working on, uh, you know, but that was great. See, that's what, I think that's what makes it, makes you stronger. That time away on the way in here, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about, uh, they have, they offer vacation time unlimited to their employees, like unlimited as much as you want. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was thinking about that. Like, how can yeah. that even, so, uh, and he, and he was saying that only four to 5% of, of his team take advantage of that. You know, because what uh, was hard for a lot of people at first was, well, you mean I can take as many vacation days as I want? And they said, yeah. And it was hard for people at first is they would actually take less. You know, they took fewer because they were like, hey, I can't make it look like I'm not, you know, yeah. my fair share. And so it was hard to break themselves of that habit of actually working all the time. And uh, and so most people, he said, 90% of the people take between two and three weeks and, and that makes them happier. And that extra week or sometimes the person who takes has to take a month, one year, but maybe they they take less than next makes them when makes them stronger, makes them more dedicated to that job. Yeah. You yeah. know, that time away is really important. So. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's statistically true that Americans take the least time off work, you know, uh, like as compared to Europe, you know, and, and everybody says, Oh, lazy Americans, lazy Americans. But when you look at the number of hours we work, it's, it's, it's tremendous. So uh, yeah, it is important to, at a certain point, uh, you know, just say, all right, I've done enough for today and it's time to go home and relax. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, listen, I, I probably wouldn't have told you that uh, 20 years ago. So, but today that's what I'll say because, you know, quite frankly, at the end of the day, my back hurts, my foot hurts and my neck yeah. hurts and uh, it's time to go sit on a heating pad or something. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, Hey man, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this with us for real. It was, it was great to have you on. Cause like I said, so many, so many shops like us, uh, you know, started, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. It was the same thing. Like when we logged on to figure out how to do all this stuff, it was you and Ryan. So, yeah. We, yeah, were, we were thinking you were before Ryan, but now, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be honest. That's right. Ryan, Ryan was 2006, as I recall, and I came on the scene in 2009. So Because you wanted to do it better, though. That's right. I said, you know right. what? I could make a better video. And it maybe, maybe at first it wasn't technically better, but like I said, people connected with my teaching style. So that's what that's yeah. what made it work. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, guys. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And if there's anything I can do ever, I'm here to help out. Thanks, Jonathan. Good luck with yeah. that. Um, 
that project you're working on sounds sounds pretty rad. That'll help a lot of people. You know, if having yeah. this organized tutorial class, I mean, that sounds sounds great. Yeah, I thought about no, doing that, that thing too. So, thank you. Great talking to you, man. Thanks, dude. All right, thank you. Good talking to you guys. We'll see you. Bye bye. See ya.